Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Steven. Welcome to Tales from the SaaS Graveyard, where we talk to employees at tech companies that are in the middle of the bell curve, not going out of business, but definitely not hitting the big time. The SaaS Graveyard is a purgatory populated by companies that have made it to the annual revenues in the 30 to 50 million range, but can't get to the next level, which is pretty impressive outside of Silicon Valley, but it's frowned upon here. We interview folks in various roles about their experience working at companies like this. We're looking to see what common themes emerge across industries and roles. Today, we will spend t- some time with our friend Paul, who had a brief stint as a developer for Sassy Tax, which did something related to taxes and cryptocurrency at the tail end of the 20 teens. Now, Stephen, before we bring up Paul, I think we should discuss the elephant in the room, which is that Tales from the SaaS Graveyard, we actually, most 90% of our guests aren't in the SaaS Graveyard. They're just companies that are, that, you know, companies or roles that just did not work out well for them. And, you know, it, it reminds me of like, a, there's a common inspirational LinkedIn post where people say, you know, your, your career is not linear. Sometimes you have to take a slight step backwards to realize where you want to go. And I think that that's almost more the real theme of our show, not necessarily SaaS Graveyard. For example, like Paul today, you know, a, a, a three-man company, that's certainly not SaaS Graveyard yet. So, you know, and another thing for our listeners, you know, I'm just a pretty face for uh, the podcast, but Stephen does all the work. He does the editing. He, he gets our guests. And so when you get our guests, when you talk about the podcast, what resonates for them? We're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, I should be a guest on your show. Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing because definitely I think what, maybe 50% of the companies we talk about end up matching the, our description of the intro here. But whenever I describe the podcast to anyone... So they all agree like, oh, that resonates with me. I have an experience like that. And even if they don't want to come on the show, they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's definitely happened to me or happened to someone that I actually know. Um, I think the big thing that just resonates with them is tying back to that LinkedIn post of like, it's not a linear progression. Like it is like this weird thing that no one really wants to talk about. No one wants to say like, I worked at a company and I learned like a few tactical things, but like it wasn't good. (laughs) <laughs> there, like no there's no marketing post no one's posting on linkedin like i worked at this company and it was bad and i learned what bad management was like or i learned what stagnating was like no one wants to advertise that but everyone or, wants to talk about it or on an interview you, you're not going to say in a, to a prospective employee like, yeah that was two years of my life wasted yeah but some we all know it's true like we know everyone's out there not living the perfect life or perfect career um why else would everyone be like switching jobs every two years then? You know, it just doesn't make sense. So it's like this kind of, I think it's a little bit of the flip side of like this shiny image of what we all imagine our careers are this, like, I think there's this very like millennial, like, Oh, I need to put a good foot forward. I'm hustling all the time. But reality is like, that doesn't get you actually what you want or even people who are saying all those things don't actually run the companies that you thought they were. And there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors that everyone wants to discuss of the reality of it. Yeah, we're, we're like the unfiltered Instagram. Like, that's what our podcast is. Yeah, like, we're showing you the truth. We're like, uh, the, like the shady LinkedIn, I guess. Like, the shady LinkedIn post. We're showing you <laughs> the truth about those companies. What, it's the Glassdoor reviews, but, like, more honest than just the people who got laid off or just the people <laughs> who are still, who are the CEOs of the company writing their Glassdoor reviews or yeah. whatever. We're showing you, like, the the average person's experience at these companies. Yeah. The rank and file, the rank and file. Yeah. I think that's what resonates with people is it's a little bit of insight into what everyone knows is true, but there's not really a good source of content to learn about it. I would say, I think that's what resonates with people until we came along. 
Until we came along. Jake, let's get started with this episode. Enough of a you and me talking. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, share my story. Excellent. Yeah, so let's hear about before uh, you joined Sassy Tech. Where were you in your career and what were you looking for? I was uh, just left PwC and I had been doing some tax consulting for them for a while. And I went into a software development boot camp and I was trying to kind of switch things up and, and get more into engineering uh, and technology and kind of leave the CPA stuff behind. And right after the boot camp, I was aggressively into the cryptocurrency space. And I had made my own crypto website uh, that I was using to kind of teach myself some things and also kind of shop around as part of like a portfolio. Um, and I was on, you know, a lot of different job sites and had, had come across uh, Sassy Tax and sent, sent some information in to them, you know, resume and all that and didn't hear from them for a little while. Uh, and I was actually like about to go back to my old job because it had been like three or four months and I just needed to um, make a decision with them because I hadn't actually officially left. I was on like a six month leave of absence where they were like letting me kind of explore, you know, this all, like alternate education and stuff. Um, and I had a very short window of time uh, where I had, I had, you know, it was like a Friday I heard from Sassy Tax and I had to let PwC know if I was coming back or not on um, Monday. And so that weekend, I like did an interview at like 4 p.m. on Friday with these guys at a WeWork. They gave me a weekend assignment uh, to create a, um, a, a marginal tax rate calculator in JavaScript. Uh, I did that. And then on Sunday night, like got an offer and accepted. And then on Monday, told PwC that I wasn't I wasn't going back. So I kind of like got in just under the wire uh, with like my first you know software engineering job uh, with those guys and uh, was hired in as like a contractor. Uh, with like an agreed monthly rate. Um, and then if that went well for like three months, I would be uh, like a full-time hire is what they told me. And um, yeah, it was that I was, the plan was for me to come in and be the first full-time hire because they'd only done like contractor work to date. Now that's pretty fast turnaround of Friday interview assignment to deciding to go with it. Yeah. What was that actual interview process like? Uh <laughs> I was really uh, new to the whole startup concept, you know, coming out of college, working at a massive, like big four accounting firm. Um, I thought the product looked cool. I, there's only two other guys there. I met with both of them separately for about an hour. Um, and I was, you know, I thought they were pretty reasonable guys that had a good vision to do something that a lot of other people weren't really doing. Um, and I think I just got sucked in because I, I really, you know, having left PwC like six months before this um, and trying to do like a pretty big career change from like accounting to software engineering, um, you know, I just didn't want to go back. So when the offer came kind of at the last second, the timing of it, I think it was partly thinking it was a good idea and, you know, partly just being really excited to have a, another chance to do something else um, and still be able to kind of like, you know, make a living uh, at that point. Did you have any reservations that Sunday night before signing? I remember uh, I remember calling my dad, uh, as I usually do in these career decision moves, uh, who is also a CPA. And he, he told me that, you know, I if, if I thought it was a good idea, I should go for it. But it seemed like very, very risky. He was like, from my view, two guys, company, no other employees, like this seems... 
extremely risky. You know, you're leaving a company that has like the ultimate level of job security. If you just kind of like keep your head down and do a good job there, you'll move up the ladder. Uh, and so I remember like that night before I took it, I was like, I knew he was right. <laughs> and there was definitely some reservations, but it was also the kind of classic thing of like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to my dad right now because I want to do my own thing. But looking back on it, he was definitely right. Is there one piece of information you wish you knew before you decided to sign on? I think if I could go back, I would have, I would have definitely asked a lot more questions about the capabilities of the software and like where the company was at versus what, you know, the marketing, um, the marketing of the company was at, which I think is like a really common thing, like across the board, you know, with like a lot of, a lot of startups, like what can they do versus what they say they do. And I just didn't ask any of those questions. <laughs> I just, I thought they did what they said they did. You know, I was very naive. I was probably, I think I was like 23 or 24, um, you know, and I just didn't ask any of those questions. I just thought that, Hey, they say they do this. Why would they not be doing it? It's on a website. It must be true. <laughs> right. Right. And so again, like looking back hilariously, uh, you know, uninformed and just like naive, uh, in a way. So, um, you know, one thing I'm interested, you know, often at a, at a tech startup, the, the first day you get like this, you know, you get the sweater, or the coffee mug. I'm just curious, you know, as such a small company, how do they welcome you and make you feel like, okay, you're part of the team? Uh, there was zero swag outside of the WeWork that we were at um, had, you know, cold brew and beer on tap, which I thought was very cool. Um, so that was like the welcome thing was basically my first day there. You know, I, it was a bring your own laptop. I didn't get a device. Um I got set up, you know, they had like a readme in their GitHub repo and I kind of, I set myself up. Um, and then after work that day, it was like me and, you know, one of the founders just kind of like sat and had a couple beers at the WeWork, which was nice. Um, but it was also like, even at that point, I was living within walking distance, which was really nice of the WeWork that we were working at. Um, so I was going in every day, but the, you know, the other guys weren't there every day. And I was kind of like sitting in like an open space, like by myself and it wasn't a lot of like communication. I think we had Slack, um, but I would get really vague. Like I remember my first, the first assignment was take the marginal tax rate calculator that you built and put it in our software because we want to put it uh, like on the external facing site so that you could say like, if you had this much gain, you know, we would estimate if you're going to have a short term or, or long term, whatever uh, the tax rate was going to be. And so I was really hard for someone coming out of a boot camp. I felt like I had just gotten thrown to the wolves because I had written it, you know, using certain NPM packages and things like that. And they were just on completely different, you know, libraries. I, so I just like didn't know what I was doing and there wasn't a lot of communication and I didn't necessarily feel overly welcome to ask for support. Cause I thought I was like, Oh, I don't want to ask too many questions because I want to seem like I belong here. Right. So I was working like a lot of hours, like 12, 13, 15 hours a day trying to just Google stuff and get it to work <laughs> so that I seem like I belong, you know? Yeah, so your, your main thought at the, that point is like, I need to really prove myself. So at the end of this three months, they'll want to keep me on as a full-time employee. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And did they notice that how hard you were working? Not really because they weren't there. Like I said, they weren't in the office with me every day and I would kind of get in. This is actually, so we were in a WeWork but we were not paying for it. And I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, we were kind of sharing a space with another 
group, there was like a, another crypto kind of, um, group and they had a, a shared space. They had a space that they were paying for and they just kind of knew these guys and they were letting us kind of like sit on the floor with them, okay. but nothing, nothing official about this was, was known to we work. So I was actually going into the office at like seven forty-five or eight o'clock in the morning every day. And sometimes other people would be there and they'd let me onto the floor and a few times nobody was there. So I'd wait for a little while and get let in. And, and a couple of the people that worked there just let me in. And one day I tried to get into the office in the morning and someone was like, who are you with? And I said, I'm with, you know, this group, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They're like, we have no record of that, like whatsoever. And they were the person who found this out was a real stickler. And our company ended up getting fined, I think, five hundred dollars by the by the WeWork for for using the space, you know. So to answer your question, no, they didn't see how hard I was working because they couldn't see me all the time. They weren't there with me, and I actually, because of my hardworking nature, ended up getting the company fined. Um, I, I believe five hundred dollars. Yeah. And so a after that, did they then somehow sign up to actually pay for the WeWork, or did you have to move out? Um, I feel like. We just stopped. We might have just stopped going in as much. I don't remember. That was very close to the end of when I was with the company. Okay. Yeah, um, I, uh, I wish I could remember that. I feel. I feel like we kept going in. I feel like there was some sort of deal struck with this, like fine, um, if I remember correctly. God, but I, I love it. Not even no swag. Not even a badge to get into the office. <laughs> no, not exactly. No swag. No laptop. No badge to get in the office. Just like three guys in a dream. <laughs> So the the you know the marginal uh, tax rate calculator that you were working on, how long did it take you to from start to like when you actually get it onto, or did you ever get it onto the site? Uh, I got it onto the site. I worked on a few projects, so I got it onto the site. I would say pro that probably took me maybe like the first two weeks I was there um, because I just had to learn a lot. Like the calculator I built worked fine, but I had to you know you know, massage it into their system basically. Yeah. So that took a while. And then I did a lot of stuff with Stripe. Um, you know, I did a, a whole project where I implemented a coupon system for Stripe um, for them, which was really, you know, at that time I thought really, really cool. Um, looking back, I'm just like Stripe is such a great API, like good product. Um, this podcast paid, paid for by Stripe. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I did a couple projects like that. Um, nothing, nothing too crazy. Uh, there was another contractor that they had that was doing a lot of kind of like backend system work. And that I think intentionally, I was not really aware of like all the backend system work. Um, okay. Because, you know, that's where a lot of the, that's where a lot of the problems were. Okay. In processing like the volume, you know, um, of like very high volume transactions. When, when you finished your first project, did they give you any feedback? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. The feedback I was getting would be like, I, I think part of my fear of like asking questions was I would kind of save a lot of them and then ask in like one go. And then, um, I was so, sometimes met with like angry responses from the, cause only, you know, there was only two other people at the company. One of them was totally business facing. The other one was, you know, the, soft like basically lead software engineer lead designer lead everything and then there was a contractor who i never spoke to so everything went through this one engineer and it sort of just felt very much like whatever mood he was in um that's how the feedback would come and so some you know that's i started getting afraid to kind of ask questions and things because i just got the sense that he thought i was you know not doing a good job yep. and again you know i'm working hard like long hours trying to 
you know, fake it till I make it type of thing. And I was really afraid of, of kind of like asking questions and having him get mad at me because I needed to make it through this three months if that was even a real thing and then get a full-time offer. No, I mean, other than the fact that you didn't, that you were sort of squatting this we work and your, your manager could get angry at you if you ask questions, were there any other red flags in, the, in those first couple of weeks? Um, I mean, it didn't seem, the, the other thing I remember thinking is like, I have no idea how much money this company is making right now or how many like customers there are. And, um, and like there weren't any other discussions that we were having about bringing other people on. So I was, I was like really kind of un, unsure of the future based on those things. Like no idea what the revenue was, no idea what the hiring plan was. And we just kind of seemed to be stagnating on some projects that, you know, weren't really like moving the needle in any, you know, material direction, like a couponing system. It's like, that's nice, but is it as nice as like having your system actually be able to process the volume of transactions that you claim to be able to process? And you mentioned that there was another contractor. Were they hired after you then or? They were, they were like, had been around maybe six months or so before I came on. And I think they thought that like the work was completed and then it got brought back on, you know, right around the same time as me. But that the difference I think being like, they had always said, this is just a contractor person to kind of help us sort out some big problems. And then, you know, like with you, we would want to bring in like a, a kind of like a junior engineer. Like, okay. yeah. And you, you said you never met that other contractor or never met them, maybe talked to them on Slack like one time um, because I think I had asked a question to the, to the main, you know, engineer uh, founder person and, and they had directed me and said, oh, you know, you need to go ask this other guy. Okay. Um, did, did that seem strange at all that you had no communication with that person or did you just sort of like you accepted it because, you know, it's your first job and in, 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 as an engineer? I think that's a really good question. I don't, I think this is maybe the first time I've thought about that. Uh, it definitely is strange looking back, but at the time I just was like, yeah, whatever. Like I, I, I think my, I was probably justifying it by saying, you know, oh, they're a contractor. I don't want to like waste the hourly rate that they're getting paid or something because, you know, whatever. Right. What would you describe as your most memorable memorable day at Sassy Tax? And you can use memorable however you want. Um, I think the most memorable day is probably towards the end when, uh, you know, I kind of, I was, <laughs> I was, I confronted them about what I thought was going on at the business and I had to ask them this question, you know, so, I mean, we can jump into this now if you all want to get straight to the end, but it's definitely the most memorable day. All, all the software engineering stuff, you know, I felt amazing. I, I remember when I implemented the Stripe coupon system, I had a friend that was in crypto and I sent him the thing and I made a coupon and put it in the database and he used the coupon to like get access to the service. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Like, Blah, blah, blah. So there were definitely some fun like wins from an engineering side, but the most memorable day was was the confrontation. <laughs> Maybe just like before we get into the confrontation, like so when you had that, you know, you your friend redeemed the coupon. Did do you feel like, oh, I'm actually making it as a software engineer? Like I made the right choice. Yeah, I did. I felt like all like 
it was a very like challenging job because there wasn't a lot of support and I felt like I was being asked to do things that were out of my depth, but it was like a baptism by fire when I was, you know, at the end of the day, it was taking me longer than it probably should have, but I wasn't getting paid by the hour because we just had this agreed upon like monthly net sum. And so I was learning a lot, uh, but it was like self-learning um, and it was, but it was rewarding in that way. And I thought, you know, I had really, I, I was really like cutting my teeth. Yep. Um, maybe last thing before we get back to the, the true memorable day, was there, other than the, the free beer and the WeWork, were there any good perks? That was the only one, um, that was, that was kind of a good perk. There was some, some of some of these other cryptocurrency folks around there. Uh, I think we're pretty like high up in like the, um, Ethereum world. And I got to kind of talk to them at one point and that was, uh, just interesting. I remember, I remember they just seemed so like, um, they were very like anarchist, which was, I, I, I don't know why it was kind of more surprising to me at the time. Um, cause I, I wasn't aware of like all of the, you know, people who had founded all of these things and stuff. So I remember talking to them and they really were like, let's like bring down centralized banking and coming as like a CPA. I was like, Whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, you want to do what? And they're like, yeah, five years, you know, 10 years, like it'll all be gone. And you know, here we are five to 10 years later and there's still central banks. Right. Federal Reserve has not gone anywhere. Um, so, uh, were you? So you said you were starting to get into crypto. Did did this job make you more interested in it, or did it sort of make you want to veer away from it? This job made me run so far <laughs> in the other direction of cryptocurrency. It's not even funny. All right. So let's get to the memorable day then. Yeah. So. Basically, I'd been working there for, you know, two and a half months or so. And um, they there was always issues with the platform, like any software startup where edge cases or, or things happen and, and the software just can't perform. And so it always seemed like well, there's two main issues. One, the website said we supported every exchange. And in theory, that was true with CSV files and JSON. We had like one direct integration, I think, to Coinbase and maybe uh, like Binance or like one of the other like trading exchanges. So the big issue was like, you know, a lot of people were coming saying, oh, you support this and we didn't. And we'd have to like figure out a way to manipulate some JSON and tell them I was writing outside of software engineering. I was also writing like a lot of our help articles. I was doing the intercom. I was writing blog posts to get like, you know, whatever. Um, so there, that was the big problem on the on the integrations. And the second biggest problem was like anytime someone brought too much data, we didn't have a good system for like you know, we didn't have like a job based system where it would kind of like go and queue something up and then process all that and queue the next thing up. So when we're talking about like hundreds of thousands or millions of rows of transactions, it was getting log jammed and it just couldn't finish and do the job. So when that would happen, there was like this common phrase, um, which was just like, let's go use Calypso, you know, like let's, let's get Calypso, Calypso, this Calypso, that. And I just like never asked about it. I just thought mm -hmm. it was, I thought it was maybe like, you know, a repo that this like contractor had created and you know, something. And so it started getting weirder and weirder when they would say this other word. <laughs> and, uh, I intuitively was picking up on like, this is sketchy. They're kind of like mumbling it behind me mm -hmm. and like not telling me. And so after like two months, um, I was supposed to get a paycheck that wasn't coming. And I had asked, you know, the business facing, you know, founder, Hey, like, where is this going to be? And he just kind of said like, it's coming, you know, and it was like kind of blowing me off. And 
I had another, so I asked him like two times and I think it was like the third time that week I was like, all right, like, where is the paycheck? Like, I really need this. Like yeah. you write me a check, you can direct deposit. Like I need this, you know, paycheck. And he promised me again, it was coming. And the way he said it, I think like really triggered me. And I just said, yeah. And I also need to know like what Calypso is like, what is that? Like, you need to tell me. And he just like, didn't, I, I think I remember like he didn't address the question directly. He's like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, sometimes we just have to like do other things to like get stuff done, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I just, you know, I feel like you're being dishonest. Like, this is not right. We need to like talk. I don't know if I can like stay here. Mm -hmm. And then the next day it was like a Saturday morning. Uh, cause that was a Friday. And the next day, like in the morning, I got a text from one of the guys and was like, let's hop on like a zoom call. And I get on a call with both of them. And this is like the confrontation day. And I call them both out and they, they're explaining to me that Calypso is just another, uh, like cryptocurrency tax platform. And they're taking these high volume transactions from one platform and uploading it to another yeah. and, and getting the results and getting paid for that. And so that's when I told them that, you know, that is just fraud. Uh, you're just defrauding customers and I won't be a part of it anymore. And you need to get me the money that you owe me and we're going to part ways. And, you know, they were very quiet on that call. There was like a lot of like me saying things. And then I felt like muting, you know, like it was like, this is like, five years ago already so like i wasn't that used to zoom calls but you know there's definitely like some muting and i could i thought they were like maybe texting each other during this thing mm -hmm. it was super super sketchy and i think they were scared that something worse was going to happen but really i just wanted to get what was owed to me and i just wanted to get out of there um so i had it took another week or so for for me to get the money and i ended up texting the business guy and i said i'm going to come in today to pick up my check and he said I've just never been this busy in my life. Like you need to like, understand, like, I'm going to get it to you. Like, don't worry. And I remember thinking like, all right, you know, not to education shame or whatever, but I remember thinking like, all right, you Penn Wharton grad, like you can't hang with this, like work, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm watching you work. Like you're not working that hard. Like you're not, you're so busy. You can't get a check. So I wrote, I wrote him a text back that said, I knew he used chase. I said, there's a Chase Manhattan bank that is on this block, which is 0.1 mile from your house. And there's another one on this block that's 0.1 mile from the WeWork that we share. So you're going to get me my check today and I'm going to come and pick it up. And he get, you know, he got the check and I came in that day and I picked it up and I just said, thank you so much. Like, nice to know you guys. And, and I left. And that was, that was like the end of it. Um, but I, I was happy that, I maintained some level of like integrity and, you know, when I found out that there was this bad stuff going on, I left and luckily I always thought to myself at the time, you know, a lot of companies do things that are not, you know, a hundred percent on the up and up or they're sort of misleading and whatever. And I thought this had gone too far. So I thought this was definitely the time to leave. And, and I didn't like the way it was handled more than what was going on. I didn't like the way it was handled. I didn't like the way I was kept in the dark. I didn't like the fact that I had to address them about what was going on and that they weren't even the first time I confronted them, they weren't upfront about it. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm happy that I didn't have to look back at this and see that this company has become a, massive success and they solved all their <laughs> problems and they're you know doing well we weren't looking at a theranos when when you um 
it, it yeah it really does sound like a Toronto staff ex- experience. When you we first got on that Zoom call, what were their attitudes? Were they just like, oh, we're gonna let you in on a little secret now, or what did you feel like they they were they went in think hoping would happen? I don't know what they were hoping, but there was so much tension. I just I remember like the tension. It was like one of the tensest like business discussions I've ever had. It was so awkward. They were very like kind of generally laid back. Like I said, the engineer would get in kind of like moods where he wouldn't be like responsive to my questions or he'd be angry. But like the general demeanor was like a very laid, like two very laid back people. Um, And so this call started and it was like, like shoulders back, you know, tense, um, you know, straight stare, like, okay, we need to talk. Like, I, I can't remember if they started the conversation or if I did, but it was very much like dipping a toe in the water, you know, like, ooh, that's like walking on eggshells, you know, trying to navigate this this weird space that has been created by me just being a little bit like cantankerous and, and kind of like just getting straight to the point. Um, but yeah. And so um, you said between that Zoom call and like actually getting paid was it another week. Did you interact with them at all during that week or? Just texting the one the one uh, guy trying to get trying to get paid, uh, and coming down to the the calling out exactly where the chase locations were, and just like telling having to say something, you know. An- another thing I really I didn't want to do. I mean, I just did I did not want to be that person that had to be so direct. I, I, coming from the other jobs I've had at that point, with you know huge. Uh, corporations i'd never worried about when a paycheck was coming just got direct deposited every two weeks so um that was definitely a huge shock to me it was like wow they're like not honoring the one agreement like we have entered into an agreement i will work for you and you will pay me (laughs) i'm I'm working for you and you're not paying me so there's a big problem is is in that zoom call is there anything you know, if the the message was the same, like, "Hey, we're using this this other platform to basically process our customers' data," uh, is there anything they could have said in that Zoom call to make you uh, not want to leave immediately, or is, was that just like such a breaking point, or was it the fact that their attitude was also like squirrely? Yeah, I think it was the attitude. Like, they could have. There's nothing they could have said. I think if they had offered to like double my pay or make me a full time employee right now or do something crazy, like. I would have just said no. I, at that point, I was so turned off by their whole like attitude and like the way that they were handling business. I just, I candidly, had no confidence that these people would be able to run a successful business. I was like, you are just dishonest and like intentionally misleading uh, all of your customers that are your biggest customers that have the most complicated transaction data. Like, I don't think you're going to make it. You know, so it was like a real concern about the future of the company knowing that these people were were guiding that future i'm interested now in your, your own journey so you know three months before your dad told you hey this is risky what did you you know after you've you know decided like oh, i'm walking away from this what were your next steps and like what did you do i spent probably two days being like very bummed out you know i was like damn this is rough uh and then i spent another week or so looking at the job market again and trying to get hired and at that like i think it, the market probably different now than it was back then but it was like really hard for me to find like decent um software engineering jobs that were entry level for, that were for people who were like in their mid-20s not like straight out of college you know so i was just, i had 
it was weird because it was such a short stint. I felt like I looked three months later and I was like, oh my God, all of these jobs that I just applied for are <laughs> now filled and there's like, you know, nothing, nothing that I'm seeing here because it's basically the same market three months later. And um, I'm getting ready to swallow my pride and call my old boss at PwC, who I luckily, I left on really good terms there. And he was like, you know, give me a call. Like he really liked working with me and that was like a good job. And I didn't have to, he called me up and just crazy fate being what it is. Like there was a new program that was starting at PwC called the digital accelerator program. And it was for people to basically like create, you know, RPA, like different process automation stuff for all of the PwC practices. And he called me up and he's like, I think, you know, given your background, doing the job that you used to do and your background in software, like you could come in and be a part of this program and you wouldn't be doing the same work you used to be doing. You'd basically be like working in software, like Altrix and Tableau and Power BI and like a little Python and stuff like that. And just like automating a ton of our process. And I was like, that sounds great. And so I took the job back and I started doing a lot of that. And, uh, I did that for like three or four months. And then, uh, in this, interest of like technology investment, they decided that they were going to make a web application for the group that I was working in. And they were going to make a big, like, you know, big, big investment in this application. And so then I got the opportunity to be a product owner for them building this application and working with like an onshore and, a, and an offshore, like consulting team uh, of developers. And then that's how I kind of transitioned from like software engineering and development into like product management, uh, which is what I've been doing for the past like three or four years. So I just got really lucky. There was definitely like a few days there. Uh, <laughs> luckily, just a few days where I was pretty scared and I had no idea how I always knew I wanted to be a product manager. That was like that was why I went back to uh, to the software boot camp and I didn't want to get my like MBA, which a lot of people had told me was if you go get your MBA. You can do this. I was like, yeah, but I want to like under, I need to like understand you know, the software that they're building in order to do this job. And, and I just thought that I would be a software engineer for a few years and then I'd, you know, find my way into that. Um, but it just, it happened to go this different way where I basically took this job. It didn't go great. <laughs> Three months later, I ended up back at my old job with the same people doing something different. And then a few months after that, they decided to make a big technology investment and they just thought I had a good blend of skills between the accounting background and, uh, and the actual software to be able to to do the job and it worked out. So uh, that, that's awesome that it worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I, it, I think, I think about it a decent amount as like being pretty much the luckiest thing that's happened to me, you know, in, in my whole life. Uh, it's just so, it was so random. I think about like, if I had just stayed at PwC, like what would have happened? And I don't think it would have happened that way because I wouldn't have like had the technology background to, to, probably even be eligible for this other like program that they were doing. Um, so all things considered, it ended up being a really weird, you know, six or eight months, but it was, it led to a good path. So I think that that leads to where we always end, you know, looking back, would you have, would you have still made, you know, going back in the time machine, would you have still accept the offer at Sassy tax knowing mm -hmm. what you know now? Yeah, uh, definitely. Just because it was, it was short lived. It was, highly entertaining. Uh, it taught me so much. I felt like I, I used the phrase earlier, like baptism by fire. It really was. I think I've worked at two different um, software startups since then. 
And a lot of the lessons that I learned in that three month period of time are true at the other startups as well, um, just in different ways. Uh, and I think like it really helped me look at things with less, you know, rosy colored, rose colored glasses. Right. It was like, this is the reality of what's going on at all. I know you're sitting there like going to your, you know, uh, your boot camp, thinking that you're going to go work at one of these amazing startups. But in reality, like they're all faking it. They have no idea. You know, nobody has like the answers. They're all just trying to find product market fit and like get successful and, and do something, um, you know, somewhat interesting. And I think that was a great way to learn that just watching like two people actually just wing it and try and figure it out and being a part of the winging it. I remember thinking it was really funny that I did. I, I was like, oh, that's a cool assignment for my interview. And then as soon as I got there, they were like, oh, your first job is implementing that thing we had you build for the interview. And I was like, if I didn't get, I remember thinking if I didn't get this job, would they have just taken the software <laughs> and used it as like free labor? And I thought that especially at the end, you know, with everything that happened at the end, I was like, I want like, I bet they would have done that. That seems like totally something that these people would have done. So I, it was very funny. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, go sassy tax. They're still out there. <laughs> They're still kicking. No, no idea how many full-time employees they have, though. Maybe they're just interviewing more and more people, get more and more code <laughs> out. Yeah, maybe. I think that's a big thing in UX design. You know, they'll be like, oh, hey, can you do a redesign for me? Like, what's a concept that you would, like, take this app in? Like, they'll, like, not hire the person, but, like, <laughs> the concept. People yeah. are just brutal. Um, but, yeah, thank, thank you for, for having me. Another great episode. Um, so, you know, one thing that really uh, I found very interesting is, you know, that the Paul had as part of his interview process, he had to do an assignment um, to sort of prove that he could do the work, and they wound up using that assignment in in the job, on, you know, in, in actual production. And so, you know, it's something that you know we both experienced as uh, product managers interviewing for roles that often you have to do a presentation, giving like a roadmap of a product. And there is that thought when you're doing it for the, you know, the, the sometimes the prompt is for, you know, a, a famous company like Uber or, or, you know, Apple or something. But often like the, the prompt is about the company that you're interviewing for. And there is always that thought in the back of your head, like, are they just using me to get ideas or like, is this just truly an exercise? Um, and I'm always fine with it because I think that I can't possibly have something that's so insightful having thought about the company for 48 hours that someone at the company hasn't thought of. And to me, it shows like, um, as well, on the interview side, interviewer side, it shows is the candidate willing to put in the time to do the research about my company to learn a, bit, a little bit more about the industry that they wouldn't have to do if it was about a generic company like, um, you know, again, like Uber, where everyone understands the basic business model. So I like, I like giving people an an assignment that is about the company that they're interviewing for. I think it, it is, it helps like learn a little bit more about the candidate and I'm never going to use what they're, what they're presenting in, uh, in, uh, to then like steal those ideas. Jake, Jake, I'm going to disagree with you, but I'm glad that you're not going to take their ideas because we both know that's, that's an end with a bad result. Most likely. It's not an ethical thing. It's just, I think that most of the candidates I've, I've seen have bad ideas. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm going I'm to disagree with you here. I do think that in any of these interview contexts, you got to use a third party application or product or maybe even let them choose it. I think it's this weird ground of like, 
what they totally were going to use Paul's code uh, <laughs> either way, which I think is kind of exploitation of free labor of interviewees, uh, which is, I would say is crossing line for me. And of course this is different for penny, the company's size, I would say like, it could be different either way. Like there could be people who are just like leveraging your labor for free and they don't, you don't get compensated for that. I would say that's a wrong scenario. Not saying that everyone's out there doing that, but I think probably building, uh, using a third party or a third party prompt of some sort to kind of baseline, I think is probably helpful for both the candidate and for the company just to avoid double dipping and avoid kind of like exploitation, especially when the huh. employer is definitely in the, has a little bit more leveraging the power in that scenario. You one thing I would agree with you, I think like with an engineer, like they actually provide value. And so that I can see that. But since product managers don't really do anything, you can go ahead and have them do a, a presentation about your company. There we go. We'll split it 50-50 there. It depends on the role. Depends on the role. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. The next thing that uh, really struck me is how when, and you know, th- we've heard this from a lot of our guests is, it's their first role at a, at a company of a particular size. And they are things that seem a little strange, but they're just like, oh, I guess this is just how it is. You know, Paul's coming into a tech company for the first time and he doesn't get a key card to go to the WeWork. And it's like, oh, I just guess this is how it is. Like not every company, had, you know, they sneak you into the office. And, um, you know, how do you know, like what's normal and what's, you know, a, a red flag? Yeah, that's definitely a hard thing. I know I, when I've worked at companies, I, there's definitely people I didn't talk to. And now looking back, it's weird. Like, it's very strange that Paul had that other contractor who was very knowledgeable, but like they never spoke, which is weird. Like, it's a weird thing. And now I know that's a weird thing. I know early in my career, I'm like, oh, I guess I just don't talk to these people. But that's a, this is a weird concept that somehow, I don't think the culture was trying to be like that, but somehow that happened that like, you don't know how much influence you have over someone who's brand new to the world of your company. And I think Paul sort of talked about this a little bit too. Like he wonders like, Oh, am I doing something wrong where they won't let me speak to this, you know, fourth person. There's that that feeling of like, Oh, you're, you're, you're so nervous about making a good impression that you don't want to call out the strangeness. Yeah, no, it's very good because at the heart of it, the company would benefit from Paul getting more knowledge or having more collaboration opposed to just being like, oh no, I'm going to waste some of that contractor's hours <laughs> right. on this. Realistically, it's like everyone would benefit from it, which is a weird, what, if you're looking very much at cost cutting, it's probably a bad mentality at that stage of a, a startup. Yeah. Um, I think probably the weird thing towards the end of the the interview there was Paul's level of comfort with the company and definitely where ethically the company was and were they doing something that is like a quittable offense of like, this is something I need to quit right now. It, Jake, what, what's your take? Would you done the exact same thing that Paul did? Well, I, I you know, I don't think so. Cause I, you know, I've certainly been in this situation where I've been in a company that, you know, maybe going in a, in a sales, in a sales world saying like our product does these three things. And I know as a product manager, like we actually haven't built any of that stuff. And I think that's part of being at a, at a growth company is that, you have to sort of kind of boast a little bit beyond what you can actually do to get people interested. And then that, that helps you inform like what you're actually going to build. So I think I would view it as like, okay, well, we have, we have to keep using this third party, you know, software, our competitor software to, to do what our, our customers want. I would view that almost as like, well, now that gives us a roadmap. That's where we should go next. So I, I understand why Paul left, but I don't think it would have driven me to leave. How about yeah. you? 
I think I would have to, and I'm not sure whether it's a matter of the roadmap or the feature set. I think it's more of just probably how they ended up there and due to the lack of transparency that not just for the employees of Sassy Tax, but for the customers. I think it's very strange to be like, we're taking your data, we're uploading it to another third party that you don't know about. Hey, if that was an active decision and that was like something communicated to the customers, I think I'd be okay with that ethically if that was transparent. I think it's more probably an, my main concern of why I would have to quit Sassy Tax along with Paul is just the fact that it was kind of hidden. And like, if you're hiding these kinds of things from me, what else are you going to hide from the future? Maybe make other decisions that are like a little bit fuzzy or very gray, I would say. What if they were always up front with Paul, but hid it from the customer? Ooh, I would say I would also, I think at that point, I would also have to quit on just basis of just lack of transparency there too. I also think that also gets the realm of being illegal in some, I have to imagine illegal. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer, but I imagine taking someone's data and putting it someplace else without telling them. I think it's, I think that's a bit iffy. But, you know, I think in general, you just, you just uh, um, have better, higher moral standards than I do. I think I would have stuck around. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just spineless. But, uh, you know, uh, again, I think I've been in enough companies where, and I've certainly even sat in on sales calls where the salesperson is saying something. And in my head, I'm like, that's a total lie. But I have to, like, as a product person, just sort of nod my head so that we, you know, we can hopefully get this sale. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there on definitely... I think there's a fine line between marketing what the future holds and where we're going as a company versus here's how we get the job done today. And is it scuzzy how we do that? Like, is it iffy? <laughs> I think those are different things, but I agree. It is a weird situation that we face every day in the world of tech of what we do today versus what we want to do tomorrow. And will those two things ever be aligned <laughs> for the customer? Who knows? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Thanks for listening to episode 16. You know, stay tuned for episode 17 for whenever we get another interested listener to sign up to be a interviewee. So that might be you. Feel free to reach out. And until then, 